Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word and to, to study. And we ask you to lead and guide in all that we do in your son's name. Amen. Proverbs 16, starting at verse 9. A man's heart devise, devises his ways, but the Lord directs his path. A divine sentence is, is in the lips of the king. His mouth transgresses not in judgment. A just weight and balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are his work. Is an abomination. It is an abomination to kings to commit wickedness, for the throne is established by righteousness. Righteous lips are the delight of kings, and they love that him that speaks right. The wrath of the king is as a messenger of death, but a wise man will pacify it. In the light of the king's countenance is life, and his favor is a cloud of the latter rain. Okay, we'll stop there. Verse 9, a man's heart devises his paths, but the Lord directs his steps. And this goes into the very practical thing of we some, we try to make our own plans, but it's God who's going to have his way regardless. He's the one that actually accomplishes or makes it firm. Now, we can make plans, but it's in God's hands what's going to actually happen. And that goes down to what I say quite often. I go, I can plan you know, to go home after the end of this day. Whether I make it or not is up to God. You know, the chances are I will, but it's up to him then whether I do or don't. And this is why in, in the New Testament says that we should say, God willing, we will do something or not do something because he's the one that controls everything that happens to us. Uh, we make plans, but God directs or orders. Uh, divine sentences in the lips of the king, his mouth transgresses not in judgment. And this is the idea of an inspired decision. Somebody who's listening to God. The king is listening to God. And this is in the days of Solomon. So it's been David and Solomon. Very righteous men that were you know, both considered prophets in their day as well. You know, when they spoke, they heard God. So it says, you know, the divine statement or an inspired statement, a, a statement from God is in the lips of the king. And he transgresses not in judgments. The king was to judge in righteousness. He was not to prejudge. He was not to, to look at somebody and say, this person's wealthy, this person's poor. The, you know, he, was, he was to listen to the facts and give a righteous judgment. I think it also gives a picture of Jesus a little bit. You know, the, the righteous king the, you know, that doesn't transgress. Uh, but it, it's the idea that you know, all of judgment from the court, and the king represented the court in that day, was to be righteous decisions. It was not to be bought. It was not to be, you know, to, to say, well, this person has the money to get a good case or a not good case. Uh, verse 11, a just weight and a balance are the Lord's, all the weights of the, of the bag are his work. And this is talking about the days when they had a balance. You, you put a weight on one side and you put stuff in the other side, whether it be the money to pay for the stuff or the stuff itself. And... People used to, you know, a lot of uh, unrighteous men would have two sets of weights. They'd have a heavy one for when they, when they sold, and they had a lighter one oh, yeah. when they bought. And they'd be the same size and shape, but one would be hollowed out. You know, one might be hollowed out. Uh, right. you, know, I'm, you know, when I'm paying money, I'm going to, you know, when I you know, have a nice lightweight. And when I'm selling, <laughs> right. I'm going to have this heavier weight and take more, more in. And... Uh, so this is really saying that even in, even in business, God wanted his ways to be true. Today, too many people try to separate, you know, this is my business world, this is my family world, this is my, 
my church world, God, you stay out of all the other areas except for church. And God is telling us here, you know, in the courts he wants to be true. In the business world, he wants to be true. And this is very important for us to understand. God wants to be part of everything that we do. Not just our church, church God, but, you know, in our families, our relationship with our wives, our relationship with work, with our relationship with our sports and activities and, and our recreation. A lot of times people in recreation will do things that they're not, you know, that are outside of what God would have people do. Uh, and that could go down as far down as entertainment, what they read and the cheating. movies they watch. Yeah, cheating uh, in a game. Or cheating in the game to make sure they win. Uh, you know, whether it's a serious game or a, or a not so serious game. Right. It's, if there's any money involved, they turn it into a serious basketball game. Or, uh, but the whole idea that God wants to be part of everything. He indwells us, he's in our heart, he fills our life, he fills everything that we do, and he is to be the chief of all that we do. And we want to be really cognizant of that because it's so easy sometimes to think, you know, forget about God if we're not in a church environment or with our church friends and right. and we hang out with different people and we start becoming a different person that no longer says I'm what God says is important or what he wants me to do. Is important language. Language is a big thing that comes into this. Yeah, the heart and the mouth. So. Yeah. And I've shared that one of my downfalls is when I play sports because I am a serious sports player and I can get angry very quickly when I'm playing. You know, a bad call from the umpire can set me off and, and ruin my testimony real quick. Oh, yeah, right. Because I am so into the game that it's <laughs> that, you know, I, I, I play to win. <laughs> I don't. People don't like playing games with me because I play to win. No matter what it is I'm playing, I play to win. And a lot of people just want to play, and it's relaxing for them, and it's not a comp you know, not this big competition, but for me it is I am going to win this game or it's not, or it's not worth playing. My son and daughter-in-law love sports, stuff they have in common to watch sports, and they really get into it. But umpire does a bad call. They I don't mind too much watching it. I don't get involved too much when I'm watching, but when I'm playing, it's bad. It's bad for me, but God wants to be part of that, and I know that. So when I play sports, I, I really have to pray and, and be focused in the fact that i got to be a witness to God during that period of time because I know who I am. Right. Uh, but, but this is what God's saying, you know, a just balance, a just weight. And he is the one that controls the weights. He wants to be in full control of everything that goes on in our lives. And we want to, and we want to make sure that he is part of that. It is an abomination to the king to commit wickedness, for the throne is established by righteousness. And the word abomination is that very strong word. Uh, it is, it's a disgusting thing. It's, it's something that when you see it, it's supposed to make you, know, that you end up feeling sick when you see it. Uh, and for us, many times in this world, we've seen so much evil, so much gross things on on TV and news and movies Just that we're starting to get bar, you know, getting accidents and stuff. Yeah, we're starting to get very cold toward you know all the bad that we see, and and God is saying, you know, don't get that way. And it's an abomination. It's something that makes you sick for the king to commit wickedness. And we see that in, in, in any government that starts to do evil things. And that should make us sick that it happens and should drive us to our knees to pray. 
You know, I think a lot about our country and the direction our country is headed, you know, from not just the president, but from the Congress, from the, from the Supreme Court. All of it is just laying down these sick rules, these rules that destroy righteousness and righteous living. Yeah, I got the movie on and Desert Storm yesterday, too, so it's going to show all the aerial, uh, all the bombing we did on Iraq. And that's where I would have gone to Kuwait or if I had gone to the service uh, overseas, that's where I was headed. So I didn't, but God saved me from going there, but I would have been involved with all that. Mm -hmm. You know, do you go? You have to follow your law, uh, orders, you know? Yeah. But if the king's committing wickedness, telling you to do something that's not a... Uh, Killing innocent people, I don't like that. But well, wickedness is is what it is. I mean, war war is can be just. I mean, they can be for right reasons. I'm not sure we fought any righteous wars in recent days or not. But no. uh, but the throne is established in righteousness or set up and kept in righteousness. Uh, and there there is a place for the the government's position is for the punishment of evil and and the protection of its citizens. And that is what it is for. And that is good. It is righteous for them to do that. Uh, many of the things that they're getting into and trying to control is not necessarily righteous. And we, we can't judge that. That's between God. But you know, if they're asking us to do something that is clearly against the, the scriptures, then we obey God rather than men. And as I've always said, we are then prepared to take the punishment for the disobedience of the government. Uh, the disciples, when they said it is, we have to obey God rather than men, knew that in the process of obeying God rather than men, they were going to be scourged. They were going to be put into prison. They might even have to pay for their life. But the idea was we're going to obey God even if it cost us something. And they knew that it might cost them something. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow down to the idol because it was against God's rules to bow down to the idols. And their answer to Nebuchadnezzar was, was very strong. You know, our God can deliver us, but whether he does or whether he doesn't, we will not bow. You know, you have the right to kill us because we disobeyed your law, but God's law is more important and we are not going to obey a law that's counter to God's law. And this is what people have to understand. Because I've heard many people in, in Christian circles say, well, we've got to obey God rather than men. And by that, they're also thinking, well, that also means I'm not going to be, you know, I don't deserve to be corrected. And that is incorrect. You disobey the law of, established by God, even though they're wrong, there's still punishment that's due or can be due. You know, God may deliver or may not deliver, but there's still punishment that is due because they are the authority that God has established. We obey God and we and we get ready to suffer the punishment. Just like if it became illegal, you know, today or tomorrow to speak God's word and what it says, I'm still gonna speak God's word and expect to end up going to jail or whatever punishment is met out because of that. Why? Because they are God's authority, they were placed there by God, they have the right to make whatever law they want, and I will obey God, and if it crosses man, then man will then I have to go and face man's man's discipline and then be glorified in God because of suffering for him. And this is important for people to understand. It's not just I pick and choose what laws I want to obey and you know man can't do anything about it. No, I follow God and then I take the punishment that's due and God delivers. 
or promotes because of the obedience to him rather than man. And uh, so it's kind of an interesting place that, you know, it is an abomination for the king to commit righteousness and, and uh, wickedness and righteousness establishes his throne, but we still have to obey unless there's a strong reason not to and then we submit to discipline. Verse 13, righteous lips are the delight to the king and they that love him speak right. And I love this, righteous lips are a delight to the king and everybody else for that matter. You know, people like it when, when people are righteous, they're kind, they, they, speak, they speak good things. And they love him that speak right or straight or correct. Nobody really likes to be around people when you never know whether they're being straight up with you. You know, they say something, you have to wonder, or, or are they speaking the truth? Are they, really, are they really being honest? Or are they just saying what I, what I want to hear? And that's, you know, and it says that, you know, people love it. And we all know, we all know what it's like to be around somebody that we can trust. When they speak to us, we know that they're speaking the truth. You, we're, not, we're not wondering because they've lied to us so many times whether they're telling the truth. And then we also know those people that if their lips are moving, we know they're lying and we don't want to believe anything that they say. But they're good listeners. You lie yeah. because they're good listeners. That's what's very important. To learn that if they're a good listener, you know, you can put up with a lot of stuff. And, and sometimes it's just somebody that will speak the truth to us, whether, and they don't care necessarily, they're not there to hurt us, but they also aren't going aren't to hold back just because it might hurt. You know, right. They're going to say, this is the truth you need to hear. And we, want, we really do, at least I am of the case, I like to hear when people are speaking the truth. Not that they're trying to hurt me or anything, but they're saying, I want you to know this because it helps. Right, not... Uh Called it obfuscation, I guess it is. Uh -huh. Obfuscation saying, is to hide. Saying the truth just to hurt someone. Well, that's not obfuscation. No, that's not. Obfuscation would be when I'm trying to say something without truly make, coming right out and saying it. Oh, I see. I hit all around it trying to make, oh, you know. Okay. Uh, but there are people who, who try to hurt you with the truth, and, and that's and that's something that you have to be careful of, true. That's why I warned Amy about blackmailing her. Her brother, she and her brother do this back game back and forth. I don't know if you've noticed, but they do this game, and uh, you know she wants to be righteous with her dad. Now he's on the outs, and then she gets on the outs, and he's in because they rat on each other. They mm -hmm. tell him the truth. It's the truth. But they're telling each other, you know, and that's not right. I told her, I said, yeah, be careful. The truth hurts. And the bigger thing, though, is to live live a way that when the truth comes out, it doesn't hurt. And that's and that's living a righteous life. I mean, when you live righteously, you, you know, it's, you're living the way God wants you to do. You're not worried about what other kids can do to you because right. there's nothing for them to pick up. You think of a guy like Daniel. You know, all the guys underneath him were trying to get him out of office and they, and they watched his life and they could find nothing wrong with him. Now, I would love to have a life that nobody could find anything wrong with me. I, you know, that, that was hard to picture, but you know, in Daniel's case, it was. He lived a life that people couldn't come up and say, you know, well, you did this, you went out with these people, or you did, you drank this, or you, you know, you said this. You know, to be that kind of a person oh, yeah. is, would be the place like Jesus. You know, Daniel was a picture of Jesus in many ways, uh, but to be in a position where people look at your life and they just can't find enough there to say, well, you deserve. What you got, or you, you know, Maybe you I've got this stuff to hang over you because you're, you know, and 
we need to, the righteous lips are the delight of the king. The person who speaks righteousness, and not only speaks it, but acts righteous. They're the kind of people that the king wants around, the, the ruler wants around, you know, people want around them. You know, we want people around us that are, that are righteous, that are, that are kind, that are speaking God's words. They, they talk straight, they talk correct. Uh, most people, especially in the business world, are, you know, should be in government, but it's not necessarily in government. They want people who aren't yes men. Yeah, right. you, know, you want people that are going to say, if you're going to do something, they, you want people around you that says, uh, well, that might not be such a good idea because of this. They're respectful. They're honest. They're, they're, not, you know, they're not trying to you know, sa sabotage you, but they're the type that will say, uh, well, we might want to think about this or, or this, that, and the other thing. Now, the, and those people are good. They, you want them in your council, and once the decision's made, they, you hope that they fall under and, and you know, submit, to the, submit to it, and that's the way I've been in many places. I will say, this is what I think about this. It's not a good idea, or this, that, or the other thing. Yeah, but as more. soon as the decision was made, it's okay. I'm gonna support you and try to make it work, even though I don't think it will. Uh, because I'm not the one, you know, at that time, I wasn't the one responsible for answering if it was wrong. Uh, when I've been manager, I take all the people's inputs and, and you know, or here as pastor, I take people's inputs and then go forward the way that, you know, with their input in mind and God's input in mind and try to go forward. And, but the key to this is that they want to speak. You want people who speak straightforward, not, not try to make you think that you're doing the right when they think you're doing wrong. And uh, you need that input. You, and we need people in our lives that will say, you know, hey, you know, you've been kind of doing this lately. Uh, you know, do you think that's really the way you want to be walking or saying or acting? And if we don't have those people in our life, we've got a problem. Uh, we need somebody in our life that says, uh, no, you're going down the wrong path. And then it's for us to listen to them. And like I said, I've got a couple guys that I meet with every week, and we can do that with each other. We can say, hey, you know, that's really not the way you should be thinking or acting or, or speaking. And and go forward from there. Even if it's not what they you really want to hear, they want. You don't want to hear. You usually don't want to hear that they're they're disagreeing with you, but you need somebody who has that power that you give them permission to say, "Hey, you know, I'm going to knock you upside the head because you're not you're making bad decisions." Because otherwise, you just keep going down the wrong road until you end up at the bottom of the hill and say, "Wow, what, how'd I get here?" And so you need somebody sometimes to just say, "Hey, this is what you need to do." Um, the wrath of the king is a messenger of death, but the wise man will pacify it. And this goes to the idea that the king has power of life and death over people. Now, you don't get the king angry. Uh, you know, the old off-with-his-head routine from the <laughs> Queen of Hearts. Yeah, kill the messenger. You know, you, know, you just kill, you kill, you kill, kill anybody you disagree with. The king yeah. as, as the messenger of death, the me they kill the messenger. But it says, but a wise man pacifies this, and pacify actually is propitiate. And we've covered what propitiation means. That is the satisfaction of anger. So the wise man will come into the king and say, you may be angry, king, but here's the, here, here it is. You know, this is, this is the answer to what it is, and we're going to help cover the sin. Propitiation covers a sin by satisfying it. Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. He covered our sin. He satisfied the anger of God toward our sins so that we can now come before God with sin covered in Christ Jesus. And so, you know, 
the king can get angry, but the wise man. And we see this in Moses, you know, all through the book of Exodus, where Moses would come before God and God say, "I'm going to destroy these people and start all over." And Moses says, "No, no, no. You, if you kill them, you'll just it'll be bad for your testimony. God, the, the world will say that you just took them out of Egypt so you could kill them in the wilderness because you weren't strong enough to bring them all the way to your conclusion." You know, Moses oftentimes would come back and just pacify and say, no, that's not what you want to do. No, God, that's not how we want to handle this. And, you know, it works out of propitiation. In the light of the king's countenance is life, and his favor is a cloud of the latter rain. When the king looks at you with, with, uh, with pleasure, it's life. And it's in contradiction to this first one, 14, where it says that he's, you know, his anger is, you know, his wrath, his anger is death. And then it says, his favor is the cloud of the latter rain. Now, latter rain is that uh, rain that would fall in, in the Israel in, in, uh, in April, uh, March and April, and it helped bring the fruit to maturity. And the, well, it was the good rain. It was the rain that fell at the right time to, to feed, the, feed the crops and bring them to maturity so that you could then harvest your crop. Uh, without the latter rains, it would be a very immature, very small heads and fruits because it didn't get enough rain. Uh, so latter rain is a very important rain, and it says the king's countenance and his favor is like is, is a cloud of the latter rain. It helps bring us to maturity. It gives us the good. And this is a good thing. It, it, it says that his favor, his, it covers us. And we think about the cloud, the covering of the tabernacle, the glory of God, and how God gives us good things. And he says, I'm going to give you, you know, give you the good, the good rain. I'm going to, I'm going to pour out on you the, the word of God, the spirit, and it will help you grow. And this is very important for us to understand that God's, God is the one that grows us. We've talked about this over and over and over again. I want people to get hold of this. It's not me who grows myself in the spirit. It is God in me that changes me. And we talked about this Tuesday as far as baptism. We are immersed in the spirit, and the spirit changes who we are into something brand new. And it go, and it, it's the uh, Romans thing that we are transformed. We are metamorphed. We are changed from something that we were to something we, you know, that we are to become. The, the picture of the pickle we've been using since, since right. for baptism as opposed, and, and the one that for metamorphosis is the caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Okay? And these are all words that God uses saying that it's not you that does it. It's some, a mighty work that totally changes you from what you were to who you are. And we've got to grab hold of the idea. It's not me, it is God that does the changing. Because if it's me, it's flesh trying to produce more flesh. My flesh cannot produce anything spiritual. My flesh will always produce flesh. The spirit will produce spirit, but not the flesh. So I let God crucify me. His spirit comes into me. His spirit then baptizes me into who he wants to be, changes me into a brand new creation, and out pops a spiritual being that has different ways of thinking, different ways of acting. And it's, again, not me that did it. It's the spirit that did it. And very important, this is how we have victory. This is how we have victory is that we sit down and we let the Spirit work in us. If we're trying to be victorious in the flesh, we will never be victorious in the flesh because the flesh cannot stand before God. 
and the flesh cannot do anything good, and God says, get away from me. And he says, all I will take is the spirit. And the more we realize that it's a spiritual issue, the better off we will be. And as soon as we truly understand that it's all spiritual, then God can work through us and say, okay, now I'm ready to change you. I'm going to change this fleshly heart that wants to be harsh and mean and, and arrogant and proud. And I'm going to give you a humble heart that wants to serve and love and edify. I'm going to take away the spirits, the, the flesh and the sin out of your life. And I want to give you righteousness and holiness and let it come excluding out of you in a way that says, this is God. You know, and it's very important for us to get there. And this is why I, I'm, I know I harp on this over this last couple of months, but it is what is true. And when people get there, they'll be surprised at how easy following God is because he changes us. He is the one that saturates us and makes us into a new, new creature. He's the one that saturates us and makes us something that we weren't to begin with. And a very powerful picture of all of this. All right. Here we go. Read another couple of verses. How much better it is to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather than be, than be chosen than silver. The highway of the upright is to depart from e evil. He that keeps his way preserves his soul. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil among the proud. He that handleth a matter wisely shall find good and whosoever trusts in the Lord happy is he all right so we'll look at these five how much better it is to get wisdom than gold to get understanding rather rather to be chosen and to get understanding rather to, to be chosen than silver and this is that idea of again spirit and, and flesh it is better to go after the spiritual, even though it doesn't seem like it's you know, very valuable, but it is better in the long run. Understanding, to get understanding, to get wisdom is better than all the wealth that we can gather up. And we've, we've probably all seen it, some of these rich people, especially second and third generation rich people who have no understanding, no, you know, they're, they're just arrogant, they're proud, they, they don't give in to anybody. You know, and they make bad decisions and just figure the money's going to buy them out of it. And God is saying it's better for you to walk in his wisdom, his understanding, than to be wealthy. And it really is because if you don't have it, you're going to spend all your money trying to keep yourself out of, out of trouble. Yeah. And uh, you know, to do things right in the first place is much better. And God is saying, you know, get his understanding. And it's wonderful to get into his word and get understanding and not have to get into trouble to begin with. Because when you're in trouble, whether you had the money to buy out of it or whatever, you still spend a lot of time trying to figure out how, you know, how am I going to get out of this? What's, what is it going to cost to get out of it? And so important that we walk with God and do things His way. Because His way is going to help us out in the long run. Uh, you know, God says don't, get in, you know, don't borrow money. And so many, especially Americans, borrow money and then things go wrong and they end up owing money they can't pay. And then they got to figure out how I'm going to pay this bill or get sued over the whole thing and all the things that happen out there that says... Collection agencies. <laughs> yeah, collection agencies. All these different people that, you know, get it on there. God's saying, do things right in the first place. It's much better than having all the money that you could have. And anybody who has money realizes that money is not the answer to anything. 
You know, and those those who are poor always think, if I had the money, it would be so wonderful. I wouldn't have to do this, that, or the other thing. When you get the money, it's still not you're still not happy. You know, the only thing that will really make us happy is being in God and having His wisdom and His understanding. Um, you know, there's never enough money to totally satisfy. There's always more that you want when you have money. Right. Yeah, there's always more. You know, just a little bit more. I need a, I need a bigger house, a better car. I think you'll never run out. You know, you get to the point where I need enough money that I can't ever run out, and there's never that much money because more money. Yeah. Um, you know, people with millions just have bigger toys and more expensive toys and, and more expensive houses, more expensive cars, more expensive way of life. So it is better to have understanding and have God's wisdom, acquire his discernment. The highway of the upright is to, is to depart from evil. He that keeps his ways preserves his soul. And the highway talks about the, the road of life, the way we walk. And it says the highway of the upright is to depart. And to depart means to turn from. Okay, so you see evil in the future and your way takes you away from the evil. It doesn't say... Uh, God's word isn't how close to the evil can I come and not right. and not fall. Uh, and there's there was a there was a program that talks about uh, sexual purity, and one of the ideas was how you know many people will ask how close can I come to you know sexual imp impurity before I've actually stepped over the line. And the question for us as Christians is why do I even want to come close to it? I want to stay as far from it as possible. And, you know, this is where we come down to. When we see sin, it isn't a question of how close can I get to it and not cross the line. It is how can I stay far away from it? How can I stay completely away from it? And, you know, for sexual things, some people go, well, I can get into pornography because I haven't crossed a, a physical line. Well, then we cross into what Jesus says. If you've lusted after the woman, you've committed adultery. You know, or somebody, people may say, well, you know, well, I'm, you know, it's not stealing if it, you know, was a pin that the, the business, you know, was for and I took it home, you know. You, know, there, you keep making up all these little little caveats and saying this isn't quite what it really is. And God's saying, word is very true. Do not do these things. And he says, don't even skirt the issue. Stay far away from them. And we want to be able to stay as far away from sin as possible. The highway of the righteous, of the upright, departs, stays away from it, departs from evil. And actually, he talks about this kind of being a U-turn. It's almost repentance. He says, get as far away from it as possible. Go the opposite direction from the sin. Don't even, don't even entertain it. Don't go close to it. Don't play around with it. And it says, but he that keeps his way preserves his soul, or guards his way, keeps his soul. And because when we start getting too close and we play with it, inevitably we're going to fall over the edge. Yeah. Whether it crumbles underneath us or we literally go over the edge. Uh, went to the Grand Canyon one time with my, with my kids and my adult kids. And they kept wanting to play as close as you could to the edge. Oh, especially back in the section that doesn't have a wall. And they would get right over the edge and look over. And it's like, all I'm seeing is these rocks and pebbles and... and and unsure, sta stable, you know, footing and going, I mean, don't get so close, you know. When we had the railing, I would lean over with them, too. It didn't bother me. There was a rail there. It was solid. Yeah, yeah. But when we were over in the un undeveloped section of the Grand Canyon, and they're right up yeah, there with all the, like all the gravel and everything, it's like... Uh, walking around at night without a flashlight to get yeah. the rim there because it's just a drop-off right there. 
And it's like, quit getting so close, you know. And they were all laughing at me. They wouldn't have been laughing if they fell, but, you know, and, and, I'm, and like I said, I'm looking at all the rough, rough ground underneath them and saying, I had too many pebbles up there for me to get that close. You know, and God is saying that. Stay away from the evil. Go as far away from the evil as you possibly can because it is something that can grab hold of you so much, so easy. And we need to guard our way. We need to stay away from it as far, you know, not even play, not even flirt with it. I see some guys that, that you know, want to flirt with girls. And even if they're married sometimes, they'll flirt with the girls. And, oh, it's all innocent. I'm going, you're thinking yeah. that it's innocent. And someday it's not going to be. And, you know, it's one of those things you've got to be so careful about. You know, things can happen that, that can, can cause problems. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. You know, and pride is that whole idea of arrogancy, ex exalting yourself, and it's a heart attitude. Pride is really a heart attitude that I am better than other people. And there's a lot of people that have it, and sometimes you don't always know it because they don't show it. Haughtiness is that, you know, you're really proud and, and scornful of others, you know, and it shows to people. Haughtiness shows to people. And pride and haughtiness usually go together, but haughtiness is, you usually think of it, you know, we see it in the movies where this person's just, well, man, what do you, you know, why are you even talking to me? You're not even dressed right to talk you're to me. Right, you're not in the right, uh, you're, you're not in the right, you're not in the right place, yeah, you know. That's what I used to tell Scott, you're not in the right caliber to be even talking about it. And, uh, the right, uh, what do they call it, the right strata, the social strata? Yeah, something like that. The right level, you're not in the right caliber, or not in the right. Uh, well, that uh, proud and haughtiness, that haughtiness is, you know, who are you to talk to me? You know, you're not even, you're not even equal to me. You're the scum of the earth, and I'm saying, above you're not, you. You're not in the right, uh, oh gosh, special word for that. You're not in the right, uh, level, or whatever. You're not in the right. Yeah, talk to me. You know, you're not in the, the same. You're not in the same. Like I call it caliber. You're mm -hmm. not in the same uh, level, whatever. Yeah, but a lot of people will do it. You know, they'll they'll look down on somebody that is is homeless and say, well, you know, you don't even need to be talking to me. And and the the rich might look at the poor person and say, you know, well, who are you to talk to me? You know. Uh, we see it sometimes in politicians that aren't running for office, you know, well, yeah, I'm a politician, I don't care who you are. Uh, but we see it at various different, everybody has somebody that they kind of look down on and say, you know, don't talk to me, you're, you're not worthy to be talking to me. And that's haughtiness. But it starts with pride in the heart. You know, somehow I think I'm too important to be talking to somebody. And this is, this is sometimes when you see it in, in, in university and colleges, the professors sometimes think that their point of view is more important than anything their students can, can come up with or think of. You know, I'm the one that's had years of education. Who are you to disagree with me? And we have to be careful of that kind of pride because God says it leads to destruction and that haughtiness to a fall. God brings down the proud because he's not going to allow people to set themselves up. And that's why when God calls people in the, in the church, he says, you are to humble yourself, you are to serve others. He says that if you want to be a great in the kingdom of, of God, you serve others. You're not, you're not ruling over people, you're not, you're not better than they are. And, uh, and we always want to remember that. A lot of times, 
you know, even like in my case, I know a lot about the Word of God, but I don't know more than anybody else because I know more, but God has taught me over the years lots of things. And I've said it over and over, and I really mean this. I have heard magnificent things brought to me that people have learned from God, that God told them directly, and they know nothing about the Word of God in comparison, but they have taught me things that are just amazing to listen to. Because God can speak to them as easy and as, as well as he can to me. And it is fun sometimes to listen to them and say, wow, this is what God showed you. That is fantastic. And we want to be able to say that we are equal at the foot of the cross. And this is true. At the foot of the cross, all of us are equal. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't pick people and make them special. I mean, he, he gets people into government and they're to rule and, and they're put in charge and they have a place of higher importance as far as the circles of government go. You know, and he brings in families. He, he places the father as the head of the house. And it's not that he's any better than anybody else in the family, but in the family, that person is in charge. In the church, he puts pastors in charge. And they, not that they're more important than anybody else, but in the church, he said, they are in charge. You know, and in everything that we do, God has a place for leaders. Somebody ultimately has to give answer for where a group place is going. And there are going to be people that, when they go get into the judgment before God, you know, that have run this country, that they're going to be answerable to God for how they ran the company, uh, the country. The husband is responsible for where he took his family. The the pastor is responsible for where he takes the church, and the church is responsible in some ways. But it is the pastor or the father or the governor or you know, take your pick, whatever area that you're in. In the workplace, it's the the owner, the the boss, who is responsible for where the company. How he treated his employees, you know, how honest the company was. Did they have fair balances or did they cheat people? You know, and in each place, the person who's in charge is in charge is in that realm of their organization. They're not better than anybody else as far as at the foot of the cross or in, in God's eyes, but they are responsible for the realm that they're responsible for. And it's going to be very sad for many fathers who have given up all responsibility to raise their kids in their spiritual upbringing and kind of put it on their wife because the father will still be responsible. Uh, and it's very important in this whole idea of, you know, who's important, what's important. You know, and, it, you know, and even in that, God always tells us that we're to submit one to another. All Christians are to submit one to another. And when, so at the, at the foot of the cross, we are all equal. We submit one to another. We, we, we carry each other's burdens. We, we pray for each other. We listen to each other and say that, you know, they're you know, looking for the good that, that God is blessing them and build people up. Nobody wants to feel like they're inferior. It doesn't, it doesn't help. And the idea, and I've taken this, in, even when I was in the business world, I tried to make sure my people knew. I was boss, but I, I tried to explain why we did things so they understood and, and let them know this is why. You know, you know, there were times when it was just a straightforward, do this because I said so, because I don't have time to explain it to you. But there were other times when I would say, this is why we do it. And that was all part of the training process. Uh, and... That is where we come down to. And it's not pride, it's just there's responsibility. And if we're living in pride, people, nobody wants to be around a proud person. 
you know, they're irritating. They're yeah. irritating to be around private, you know, people that are sitting there in their pride. Look at my new car. Yeah, look at look at how much better I am than you. Is not is not what you want to see or hear, and it's a really bad place to be. It says better in verse nineteen. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than divide the spoil with the proud. And this is that whole idea, humble, low. I respect others. I, I, am, I feel that I'm not more important than others. And we're not talking about false humility because false humility is just pride in, dis, in disguise. Well, look how good I am. I, you know, not, you know, I, I treat others better than myself. You know, that's just a, it, you know, false humility is a pride in, in disguise. You know, trying, trying to be disguised. But if we're humble, we we let things go, and we're just, God, I just want to be with. I want to be with the, 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 the lowly, and to be. To separate the victor, the spoil, the you know, the victory, the the rewards, amongst the proud. And the proud will sit there and fight over all the spoil because they all believe they deserve a bigger portion of it because they're more important than anybody else. And they'll end up fighting over the, over the spoils. <laughs> and God is saying it's just, it would be better just to be with the lowly and just you know, be humble. And, and, and Jesus said that the first will be last in the kingdom of heaven. You know, those who are just willing, and this has been my point so many times, God is our defense. We just let God be our defense because we don't, we're not worried about our reputation because our reputation is God's reputation. As long as we're living in a way that lifts him up, you know, now I have a worry about reputation. If I'm going out sinning all the time and, and tearing down God's name, then yeah, I've got a problem. But if I'm letting God live through me and I'm living as righteous a life as I can, it's all God's defense for me. He will be my defense. I don't need to stand up and try to defend myself because I'm just the, the humble person that says, God, do this. You know, and we want to look out. You know, and some of the things that pastors sometimes fall into and, and teachers is they, they teach and everybody says, oh, it's such a wonderful job that you're teaching and all this. Uh, and, that, you know, and you can end up getting proud that you're you know, doing God's work. We've got to be careful even of that and just saying, God, this is for you. You know, I just want it to be for you. And I've seen people even there being all, oh, it's all God, it's all God. Well, of course, everybody knows it's God. We don't, you know, there's a false humility in that. You know, it's all God, it's all God. Don't look at me and you're, and you're really bringing, a, bringing, you know, there's false humility there. The idea is we learn to say, thank you. <laughs> thank you for letting God work through me. It's humbling to see God work through you many times if you're not trying to exalt yourself. And you look up and you see the lives that get changed. You see the lives that are being 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 moved and saying, God, it's you working through me. And I love watching the people grow in this church and knowing that it is all God that's doing it. All I'm doing is lifting up his word and I'm watching people's lives get changed. And, it, and it's something to be very careful of because as I watch these lives get changed, I've got to be careful in my own spirit. Because you know, it's not me, because I couldn't change anybody's life. For, if my life depended on I couldn't change their life. I've had that proven to me many times over the years. But we lift up God, and he lifts people up. And look at Philippians 2. Verses 5 through 11.
All right, 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, you're on verse 5? Started at verse 5. 5 through 11, okay. Wherefore God also highly exalted him and give and gives him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, of God the Father. Jesus, God himself, became man. Now that's, that's pretty humbling. And we talked about this uh, around Christmas time. He became a, a baby. And you think about this, God as a baby, totally defenseless, totally dependent upon parents, and no power in himself to defend himself as a child. In mythology, usually the, when the gods came down onto the earth, they came down as men. They didn't come down as babies. They came down as strong, usually you know, valiant men who could defend themselves. In God's economy, he came down as a baby and humbled himself, emptied himself of his power to be God. And everything that Jesus did was dependent upon the Father's power, just as everything we do must be dependent upon the Father's power for it to be victorious. And he did not look at it. He did not come in and say, well, I'm God. You've got to do you know, whatever it is. He, he humbled himself. He even went so far as to wash the disciples' feet the job of the most lowest slave in the house to wash the, wash the feet. And Jesus humbled himself. Uh, verse 20, He that handles a matter wisely shall find good, and whoso trusts in the Lord, happy or blessed is he. And this idea of handling an issue and a matter, and it, it literally means to utter speech and speech, you know, he that utters speech wisely shall find good, and whoso trusts the Lord is blessed. And this whole idea of how do we answer somebody? Do we speak good to them? Do we, do we cause problems? And this is something that we really want to grab hold of because it's so easy for us to say something that stirs up more problems rather than pacifies or settles a problem. And... It's, it's the whole idea, a soft answer turns away wrath. You know, I'm, I'm agreeing with people. I'm not sitting there trying to stir the pot. And we've all been around people who have to stir the pot. Let me stir up more and more trouble. You know, oh, there's not enough trouble. I've got to make it worse. And God is saying, you know, there's a blessing in, you know, finding good by, by handling a problem wisely. Thinking before we speak. You know, trying to get somebody to drop an issue sometimes is more important than letting it keep being stirred. And we were talking about it earlier, by speaking something, we give them power, we keep stirring it, we keep bringing it back to life. And God is saying, especially if it's something evil in somebody, we are to let it die. We're just to let it die in our own mind. Will we ever totally forget it? We've talked about this before. Not really. Our mind holds everything that's ever happened. But if we keep stirring it back up, bringing it to life, it it pops back to life and gets strength. If we just let it go, right. don't talk about it anymore, don't think about it anymore, 
renew basically our mind. let it die. Renew our mind of it. Renew our, yeah, but, and we're to renew our mind in God's word and his righteousness and his holiness and let him get rid of the negative thoughts. The more we dwell on evil thoughts, the more we give it power over us, the more we give it the power to, to, to work on our life. And God is saying, be wise. For, you know, let, let his word reign in your life. And then, of course, my favorite verse, we are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. We let him crucify those old ways, those old thoughts. Put them to death. Think good. As, we talk, as I was sharing with you the, the verse, Philippians 4, 8, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are of good reproof, whatsoever things are, are good, think on these things. Okay? You know, and what do we concentrate? If we concentrate on God's word, on the good, on the edifying of people, it brings blessing. If we concentrate on all the evil and bad, we can depress ourselves. We can, we can, we fill our heart with evil, and out of our mouth will speak what we dwell Lord, on. Our mouth, yeah. You know, the more we dwell on God, the more we're going to speak God. The more we dwell on the bad things that are happening in our life and the, and the bad things about people, the more we're going to speak about those. And that's why it's so important when we think about people, we need to start thinking about the good that they're doing the good things about them and start speaking the good and a lot of times people will respond to hearing good about themselves by being good if all we ever speak about is the negative about the people they will continue to act just the way we speak about them if we start speaking good about them and speaking good things then God will start moving in lives he'll change nothing else nothing else he changes our life and our attitude toward them and we all have people that are hard to deal with in our lives and, but we have to think about the good. And there's times when I have to kick myself up around because I think about you know this person, certain people, and the very first thing that pops into my head is some of the hard things that I have to deal with. I'm going, go, we need to be thinking about this. They are, you know, what is good about them? What is, what is valuable about them? Change the way we think about them. And very important, very important to get, that, get to that place. Look for the good in people. The, the wise in heart shall be called prudent and the sweetness of the lips increases learning understanding is a wellspring of life unto him that have, has it but the instruction of fools is folly the heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips pleasant words are as a honeycomb sweet to the soul and health to the bones there is a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The wise in heart shall be called prudent or discerning, and the sweetness of lips increases learning. And this is kind of an interesting word, the wise of heart, the ones who are, and we're talking about heart here, the innermost part of our, of our thinking, our emotions, our feelings. When we are wise in our heart, we shall be called prudent or understanding. And that's when we, uh, discerning, the idea of discerning, we see kind of through things. And that wisdom of heart, that wisdom of God, deep down in us, we see things. And we, we listen to God. And the sweetness of lips increases learning. And this is kind of an interesting thing. People will hear and respond to soft words, calm words, sweet words, a lot more than they will to harsh, bitter, angry words. 
Uh, if you really want somebody to respond, sometimes it's easier to get softer in your speech than to get loud. And I've seen people, especially parents, that they keep getting louder and louder and louder with their kids, and their kids just start tuning them out. Because kids at that point know they've got control of their parent. You know, they're, they're in full control of the parent because the parent is out of control as they get louder and louder and louder. And it's one of the things teach police officers and everything that there's a tone in your voice that doesn't need to get loud, but it is authoritative. And you learn to use that tone and people listen. It's not loud, it's not angry, it is just a tone in your voice that says you are to stop. And when you learn it, you start learning to use it sometimes maybe too often. But you learn it. And when I was a manager, I never had to yell at people to get them to stop doing it. It was just that tone in my voice that said, this is enough, we're not doing this anymore. And people get it. They know it, they know it when they hear it. And when you're taught it, you get to know about what it is. But it's that idea of being able to speak quietly and discerning and the sweetness of it and people will learn when you speak with that softness that 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 sweetness people and I've said it before people's lives change when they're given grace when you're not sitting there pounding them over the head with God's laws and his rules but you give them grace you teach them what God says and you say it's up to you what you want to do they will respond you start putting rules on them and piling on a whole bunch of rules, and people rebel against rules. There's no sweetness in rules. There's no, there's no pleasantness in rules. Nobody likes rules. At least I haven't found too many people that like rules. And I know I don't like rules. If somebody tells me I have to do something, they better have a good reason for me not to do it, or I'm going to be very much tempted to go ahead and do it anyway. And this is why grace is what is valuable to people. God says, here's my word. I want you to do it because I, because I love you and you love me. Not because I'm saying you must do these things. And after all the years of walking with God, there's lots of things I do. There's lots of rules I follow for God. Not because he says, you've got to do this to, in order to please me, but because I want to show that I love him. I looked at the rules that he's given to me and said, God, I want to just show you that, you love, that I love you. And I've got a lot of rules I follow. But it doesn't mean that I'm going to sit there and put my rules on other people. Because that's not what God wants. He wants me to give them grace. He wants me to teach the truth. He wants me to teach what he says. But it's his grace that will change them. Law does not change people. Law reveals who you are and usually makes people angry as they see what, how evil they are. And God is saying, I want you to just respond by grace. The sweetness of his law, the sweetness of his, of his grace, the sweetness of who he is. Will, will help us. Well, we're going to stop there because it's time to end. Very interest, very good stuff. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to look at your word and to just look at who you are and how much you love us and how we can reach out to you. We just ask you to help us to apply these to our lives and our hearts and just go out with us in all that we do today. In Jesus' name, amen.